Hey, pioneers, welcome to episode number 392. Today's episode is more of kind of a behind the scenes, a catch up on things that we have been doing, as well as how last week's podcast episode has shaped and changed some of the decisions of how we are doing things immediately this summer as well as moving forward. So if you did not catch that episode, we will make sure to link to it in today's show notes, but it was episode 391, and it was the episode that I did with Joel Salatin, and it was on decoding mRNA in meat with the essential insights and unleashing the secrets to budget-free meat marketing, which that sounded like a whole big old mouthful, but it was a really great episode where we talked about mRNA in livestock, um, vaccines that are mRNA-based, and then we also talked about how that whole process is unfolding, how long it's been in certain uh, vaccines for livestock, et cetera, which is therefore in the food system um, and different things like that. But then also how you can find meat that is raised locally from small farms in a manner that you are comfortable with and want if you're unable to do it yourself. So for a lot of us who are small farms and small homesteads, ways that we can get the word out about extra meat that we may be raising. We're raising, we have extra beef available right now and how that all breaks down. So really, really great episode. I've been getting a ton of feedback on it. And I have to say it's been very interesting feedback because a lot of folks have been, <laughs> most folks are, it's really positive. Like wanting to stay informed and be aware of things that are happening in our food system. Because if we are informed, then that allows us to make decisions that best serve us with having all of the information, right? So that we can decide what it is that we are comfortable consuming and making sure that we are finding product if we're not raising it ourselves in a manner that aligns with that. What was very interesting though, is for people who I'm assuming have not listened to the episode because the comments that they were making when I was sharing this on other platforms, other than the video edition of the podcast, which is now on YouTube. So if you're watching this with me, you're like, yeah, I already caught that episode and, and watched it. But when we were sharing about the episode on Instagram, mainly Instagram, not so much Facebook, uh, there was a lot of comments from people who based upon how they commented, I have to assume that they didn't actually listen to the episode. And so hopefully they then went and listened to the episode because there was a lot of comments that were saying, well, it's not, there is not an, a vaccine that is licensed, keyword there, for use in cattle. And that's absolutely true. However, if you actually understand how the licensing process comes about in the United States, you'll know that it can be used without being licensed. So anyways, if you didn't catch that episode, highly recommend that you go back and catch that. If you are listening to this and not watching it on YouTube, if you're by, I, I, I laugh, I, I try to pretend I'm cool. My kids just love it. <laughs> I'm like, if you are an OG old time podcast listener who listens to it audibly, usually on an app, that's how I consume most podcasts I listen to. So then make sure you go back and listen to that previous episode. But 
Um, it was really funny, actually. So my husband doesn't, shocker of all shockers, or maybe not. He doesn't always catch the podcast, right? He doesn't listen very often, but he actually had a coworker who does listen to the podcast and came up to him and was talking about it. And he's like, oh, I don't know. I haven't listened to that episode yet. I better go listen to it. So he listened to the episode that Joel and I did. And then we came home and had a really big discussion. So a little bit behind the scenes, kind of just uh, get you guys kind of caught up to speed on what's been going on, some recaps, um, because I think it's helpful to know how other people process things kind of like in real time. There's a lot of value in being able to learn from someone who has done something for you know, a lot of years, a lot of hours, decades, um, for example, because you learn so much by doing something for that many years, right? That that type of experience is really invaluable to be able to learn from people like that. But there's also something that it's, I find it helpful when other people share kind of how they're, they're pivoting or, or their decision-making in the now as well, that I think is helpful. So we do a lot of episodes, obviously, where I'm either sharing my decades of experience or bringing on a guest like Joel, who's been doing this for decades. But I also think it's helpful to do some of these episodes where I kind of share with you guys, like in the real time, like here's what's forming our decision-making or here's why we're doing, doing certain things because it helps you then be able to take some of that criteria and evaluate it within your own homesteads and your own lives. So we had planned this year on doing pork again. So we don't raise pork every single year. We don't breed our own pigs. Now with our cattle, we we breed them um, back. So I'm not, usually I'm not going and purchasing uh, babies from another breeder. We are breeding our cows to a bull and we have that whole process down. Now, when I'm wanting to expand or bring in another bloodline or some different genetics or maybe a different breed like we did with the Scottish Highlands um, last fall, then of course I'm, I'm buying those and bringing them in. But for the most part, we're pretty self-sustainable when it comes to our cattle operation. But we are not set up to breed our own piglets and have that with a, a boar and a sow and, and all of those things. And normally for us, because when we first started raising all of our own meat um, 20 years ago. <laughs> I'm trying to think how many years ago now. I have to remember how old I am and count backwards. About 20 years ago is when we, we started that. Really, our goal at that point was just to raise the, the food for ourselves. And then we, it, you, with most animals, they do better in a herd. They don't do well in isolation. So with the cattle, you should never really raise just one cow. So we always had a herd that we could breed back. So we always had multiple cows. And then when we decided to do pigs, we would get at least two piglets. Again, one pig by itself is not ideal. And honestly, as long as you have the space, it really isn't any harder to raise um, two pigs as it is one pig or really three pigs as it is two pigs. So we would always raise an extra pig to be able to sell to help offset the cost that we had to buy the animal because we weren't breeding it as well as feed costs. So I don't, in the beginning, I don't think we really actually necessarily made a profit. <laughs> not, not if you count your feed costs, your infrastructure costs, the actual cost of the piglet, and then time. 
uh, but it did help offset those costs. But with all of the meat birds that we raise, what we're able to catch when we go crabbing, the beef that we have, if we get a venison, it, depending on how hunting season goes, et cetera, we don't really need to raise a whole pork for ourselves every year. So we usually would go every other year. So this year, it's been a couple of years since we've raised pigs. We were going to raise pigs and we were also going to do an in-person live butchering workshop with the pigs in October. And I had arranged for Brandon from Farmstead Meatsmith was going to come out and run that workshop because I do not know how to do old fashioned charcuterie and salt curing. We've butchered whole hogs before ourselves here on the homestead when we were doing like a whole hog roast, but not actually cutting it up and curing it with salt and doing all of that type of type of stuff. And I, we, we really want to learn that. I would love, I want to learn how to do that. So we were going to do that this year as some of the in-person workshops that we're offering at Norris Farmstead, which is the 40 acre farm we bought at the time of this recording almost a year ago. We even haven't quite owned it even yet for a year. But with having our homestead here, which is why I'm recording this at our home homestead in my home office and the new farmstead down the road, which is the 40 acre farm, we've brought in Scottish Highlands. So we have a new beef cat uh, herd down there. And then the farm stay is open for guests. So it's a short-term vacation rental. Um, you're probably familiar short-term vacation, vacation rentals, like what Airbnb is or Verbo, if you've those sites where you rent a place for a couple of nights um, or sometimes up to a week, that type of thing. But you're not, it's not long-term like where you're renting it by the month or a year lease or, or et cetera. So that we have had up and operating since December 30th of 2022. So all not even a full six months yet. And then we have been so, so much renovation has ha been having to happen, which we knew when we, we bought the place. And I'll make sure and link to that video in some of the posts where we've shared that story more in detail. If you haven't caught those, if you want to go back and see that. Um, but we just had our first in-person workshop there just coming off of that that was just this weekend and i'll share a little bit more about that but we have a lot of things going on beyond just raising our own food and still operating our own home farm and we got to about two weeks ago we started looking at everything that was happening this summer with the first modern homesteading conference that we'll be traveling to because it's in Idaho. I live in Washington state. So it's a state away that I am co-founding with uh, my partner, Katie Milhorn, who we just did a raw A2, A2 episode. If you didn't catch that one, that one was really great. I highly recommend listening into that one as well. So we've got the conference coming up. We are doing a preserving workshop at the farm in August in person. And we're also doing a herbal in-person workshop with myself and Dr. Patrick Jones. And that's going to be in September. So those are on-site in-person workshops plus the conference in June. And in order for those to happen, then that means I am in the process and have been for really the past couple months putting in a large medicinal herb garden down at the farmstead so that we've got the plants there to be able to do the in-person workshop. And so also that it looks really nice when people are staying at the farm stay, as well as we're getting everything ready down there to be able to, we have the event barn where we're doing the in-person workshops, but also as a wedding venue. And I'll share it was 
I'm super excited. We just had our first wedding, got booked for this year. And I'll share about that a little bit more when I, I go back and kind of recap this past weekend. Um, but as you can see, that's a lot that's going on. And so we we started sitting down and really listing out everything that needs to happen. We've got meat birds that are coming, new chicken tractors have to be built, like all of the stuff. And we got to the point where we're like, I don't honestly think that we can get everything ready in time for the pigs with all of the other workload stuff that we have going on. And so my husband and I had to just kind of have one of those sit down, like we really need to look at things because we both had reached a point where we're like, we we physically cannot work any more than than we are right now. So my husband is still working his regular day job. So he works 40 hours a week at his day job, which he commutes to. And then all of the the normal homestead stuff that we have here, plus the farm stay. So we've been redoing all of the fences down there. That's one part of the infrastructure is redoing all of the fences so that we can pasture rotate the herds down there and help regenerate those pastures and start to bring those back with doing pasture rotation and some mob grazing. But your exterior fence line, so when you do mob grazing, you're putting them on a small section of pasture that they will be able to eat. They're all the way through. Some people will do it daily. Um, some will do it within a week. There's some variances there. But your exterior main part of the fence is usually a solid infrastructure, which ours is barbed wire. So barbed wire fence, and then you run a hot wire to section it off and you kind of leapfrog them across the pasture and move them. And it's really great regenerative agriculture. It, uh, I have an episode that I'll share back that goes on that and more where you kind of get the science behind it and, and how and why that works so well. But the exterior infrastructure fences were not, they needed to be redone uh, before we could even run the hot wires. So that, of course, everything takes longer. <laughs> I don't know if it's just me. I tend to think I can get a lot more done in a day than I actually can. I am constantly overestimating everything that could get done in a day. And so we're like, oh, we'll be able to have these pastures, you know, ready to go at much faster than actually ends up happening in reality. So we were looking just at all the stuff that has to be done. And we both realized that there is no way that we can actually get the pig barn ready to go, the netting up for the pigs and all of that in time so that they will be a butcherable size come October when we were going to do the workshop. So we both made the decision that we were going to cancel we to cancel that workshop for this year. And it's one of those things where I I hate to say that if I'm gonna like you if I say I'm gonna do something, I do it. It is very rare that I we ever pull back, but we also had to acknowledge that when we decided not to do it, it was like this huge weight was lifted off of our shoulders. And I don't think either one of us realized how overburdened we both were feeling with all of the things that we had committed to this year. So it was the best decision. I, even though there was a part of me that was disappointed because I really wanted to do it and to be able to offer that learning opportunity to people and to myself, but we got a hold of Brandon and decided we we're going to reconvene 
and look at doing that in 2024 and not do it this year. But I also share with that because sometimes they're all very good things that we have on our plates. They're all very good things that will benefit not only ourselves, but also others around us and people in our family or people in our communities, et cetera. And I do believe that about raising pasture-raised pork and teaching people how to butcher it themselves and how to cure that meat themselves all without the use of traditional butchery where using like bleach and, and chlorine and, and all of that by just natural old-fashioned salt curing. I think that that is phenomenal. However, sometimes you also have to look at everything you are doing in, in the moment or in that season and pace ourselves and I'm preaching to myself right now, but to you as well, we have to pace ourselves so that we don't burn out and we don't impact our own health too negatively by trying to take on and do too much. So there is a balance there and being able to reach a point where you're very honest with yourself and or your spouse or whoever, um, if you have people helping you with this, that you have taken on too much and then taking some steps backwards so that you can pivot. So we're not doing that in-person workshop this year or raising the pigs this year. We're going to hold on that and take that on next year. But we had been going back and forth on how many meat birds that we were going to raise this year. And I had not made the call yet to McMurray Hatchery because I have our meat birds on order. They're coming in July when we get back from the Modern Homesteading Conference uh, so that we can fully, you know, we won't be traveling and that that part because when I'm at conference, it's a state away. Obviously, I would have to have then somebody take care of all of the meat birds. We have, we'll already have a farm sitter that will be staying here and taking care of all of our existing animals, but to add on six brand new baby meat bird chicks for a farm sitter, that's a lot. So we had been kind of, we had switched the date so that they come after we get back from conference and that our meat birds would be coming in July. And we had been trying to decide if we really wanted to raise as many because we're going to be raising 60 meat birds, six zero. And I was like, oh, do I really need to raise that many? Like we could half it and then we would only have to deal with one tractor for the meat birds, building one, taking care of one, moving one, et cetera. So it would be less of a workload. And then I did the interview with Joel and my husband listened to the interview with Joel. And I have to be honest, I did not know that poultry had been receiving mRNA vaccines since uh, documents go back to 2015, which means most commercial, even organic, if you listen to that episode, you'll know why I'm, we're talking, I'm talking about that from that conversation, has mRNA vaccines. And I don't want to consume things that have mRNA vaccines. In fact, I don't get my meat birds. I don't have them get any vaccines because typically with meat birds, you are butchering them between eight and 10 weeks of age. And so they wouldn't even be exposed to most of the diseases that you're vaccinating against. So I don't, my meat birds are never, I tell the hatchery, no vaccines, but they don't get any vaccines. And I've never had issues because of that with the meat birds. And we've been raising meat birds, math. <laughs> we, how long have we been raising, how old am I? How long have we been raising meat birds? Probably at least going on 10 years now, if not more on the meat birds, we've been raising them and not ever had problems. 
But knowing now, because sometimes I usually will do our meat birds and we butcher them as whole. And then I'll just roast the whole chicken. We'll have the roast whole chicken for dinner that night. And then I will take it and make, you know, a bunch of different leftover meals from it or new meals from what's left, you know, casseroles, chicken pot pie, chicken and dumplings, chicken enchiladas, you know, all the things. And then take the carcass and of course make my chicken broth. So sometimes though, you know, we'll want to do wings or, um, drumsticks or something like that. So every now and then we will purchase from the store organic, uh, like a package of chicken wings, that type of thing. Cause I don't normally part them out. We usually just butcher and keep them whole. Well, after that episode, my husband and I sat down and I'm like, we need to do the full 60. And I still want to do my 20 whole birds. Cause I figure that gives us about, um, every other week-ish or so where I will roast a whole chicken and then make chicken meals out of that for almost the rest of the week. And so I'll still have that, but then I want to part out the rest. So I've got my own packages of, you know, chicken breasts, the wings, all of that, because both my husband and I are in agreement that we do not want to purchase any chicken from the store anymore until we have labeling laws in place that would show if it had been mRNA vaccine or not. So we have decided that we are still going to raise the, the 60 meat birds this year and did not alter our order. And I'm sure um, my contact at McMurray Hatchery is very happy to hear that, that I'm not uh, calling to alter my order because I had to alter ship dates from them um, again. So McMurray is fabulous. They are uh, where the only place that we order our chickens from, our, our poultry, ducks, all of those meat birds, etc. For I think the past six years, I had tried some different other melt order hatcheries in the past and just did not have uh, good viability with their birds. And when I tried McMurray, it was way before they ever became a sponsor of anything. I used them for a number of years and was highly impressed. Um, and then was lucky enough to meet them. And the rest is history. So they say. So because of that, we decided to still raise the large amount of meat birds in order to take us through the entire year for all of our chicken meat needs. And I think that's important too, because we were going back and forth on that. Like, how many are we going to raise? Can we supplement a little bit from the store when we want certain cuts, et cetera? But based upon that new information that was new to us, we decided, no, this is really important to us. And so we are going to raise them and not go back on the quantity. So I, when it comes to that, I think you really have to evaluate like what is truly important to us where I'm not willing to compromise. And do we have the capacity with everything else that we're doing in this area to do it ourselves or find another outside source? And so for us, raising pigs is a much longer commitment. It's a bigger dollar commitment. It's a bigger infrastructure commitment. It's a bigger time commitment. Whereas with raising the meat birds, we do have to make some new tractors uh, because all of our other tractors are in use with our other poultry needs right now. But making a couple of chicken tractors, both cost and time, isn't nearly the cost and time that it would have for us to be able to create the pig shelter, redo the pig barn, like put that all in from ground zero. And the cost of the meat birds is definitely not the same as cost of piglets, both in both either the initial cost of actually buying a meat bird chick versus buying a piglet, as well as feed costs. 
um, we spend a lot more on the hogs than we would for the meat birds. And then it's eight weeks, they're butchered and done versus the pigs, you know, six to eight months, depending upon breed dependent, I should say, because there's some breeds that would take even longer than that. But with the um, Hereford, uh, Duroc, usually um, those types of breeds, usually about eight, eight months or so, and they are at a good butcherable size. So based upon those two, we went ahead and decided just to do the meat birds and not do the pigs. Now, we just came off of the in-person workshop that was just this past Saturday, which you guys probably can't hear it. I'm not sure. You know, when you're starting to come down with a cold, you can always hear it in your own voice before usually other people can hear it. Well, our Saturday in-person workshop where we were teaching growing a year's worth of food, we started it at 8.50 on Saturday in the morning and went until we ended at 4.30, but I don't think like everybody, you know, we're visiting and saying goodbye and hugs and all that kind of fun stuff went on until about five. So pretty much eight hours we had a break for lunch, but of course I didn't stop talking during lunch because we were still still visiting, even though that we had a lunch break in there. And my voice is very hoarse, at least to my own ears. I'm hoping it's not too hoarse to you guys. I actually wait. I normally record my podcasts on Tuesdays. This is actually getting recorded on Friday and then it will go, I mean, excuse me, recorded on Wednesday. I waited an extra day, hoping that my voice would come back a little bit because it was quite hoarse from doing all of that talking and teaching for that many hours. So I, you know, wasn't sure what to expect because it was our very first one at the farmstead. Now we've done smaller in-person chicken butchering workshops of 10 people here at our home, but the farmstead in-person workshops, we had 30 people that were in attendance. And that's three times the amount, right, of, of folks. And also it was a longer full day. Usually with the chicken butchering workshops, we would start at like eight in the morning and go till about noon or one, and then they would be wrapped up. And so this one, of course, went into late afternoon, um, almost till dinner, well, depending on when you eat dinner, till about five o'clock. So it was a longer day. Um, and so it's one of those things where you think you have a pretty good idea because I've taught a lot of live classes at different conferences and stuff, but I've never taught that long of a day before and hosted that long of a workshop. So I was very excited. And it's one of those things where you have, you know, the night before, you know, you need to get a really good night's rest, but you're so excited that you keep waking up like every couple hours and like, oh, is it time? Oh, I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to do this. No, I need to go back to sleep. So suffice to say, I didn't get very much sleep the night before. And the workshop though was everything that I hoped it would be and more, which might count sound kind of funny. And we, I'm gonna release a video we, we filmed during the day. And so I will be releasing that as one of the upcoming YouTube videos so that you can get a see and, and hear some of the stuff and also learn some of the things from that day um, in a video format. So I'll be sharing that with you, but I kind of wanted this episode to just be a little bit more of kind of the thoughts and feelings and reflections around that. Um, and then as we move forward and offering them. And so what was really amazing is getting a group of, of people together who were all in all different 
ages, walks of life. We had people drive from states away, from towns away, had local people who um, are, you know, friends of ours that came. So all different walks of life as far as that go. And and from, you know, different areas, Um, we had uh, California, Oregon, Washington, trying to remember now if anybody came over from Idaho for this one. I think we might've had one person from Idaho. So kind of, you know, those different states in this area. And what was amazing though, is seeing how much we had in common, despite how much we had that was different. And the camaraderie of people, when you realize like I found my tribe, I've found my extended family. And I've got to see that before when I've went to conferences and and taught at conferences too. But there's something really special when you get a small group of people like that and just get to be like a fly on the wall for part of it and listen to the conversations, which is what I got to do at lunch and at break time. And so just to hear people sharing stories and experiences and and their dreams and what they're hoping and what they want to do and their plans it's it's so inspiring and invigorating at the same time. So if you ever get a chance to do something in person like that with with people, I highly recommend that that you do it because it will it will change you and inspire you in ways that I that you don't expect. And so that part was really fun. And then also getting just to see everybody so hungry to learn. There's something refreshing about that and questions because one person would have a question that someone else might not even think about asking, but then they get a benefit from that because it's all in real time. Obviously, everyone is hearing everything that's being asked. And so, you know, you'd have to be like, oh, I didn't think about that. And you could see them, they were, you know, were, were writing down, writing it down. And so that was really fun. And that was really exciting. And it was a, it was a long, a long day, but one of those days when you finish and you're like, you're exhausted, but you feel just deep down in your soul, so satisfied. And so that was like from my part as the, you know, the host and the teacher. But what was really fun is I had a guest teacher come and teach about elderberry and fig growing. And he's also a beekeeper, so Seth Smith. And so we started just like pinging different ideas off of one another for uh, future workshops, things to be able to help people and to offer them. And so that part was unexpected for me because I've I've known Seth my whole life. We started going to school together in kindergarten in our, our local public school. We went up and, and graduated together and have kept in touch over the years. But it was really exciting to be able to get together with like a group like that and both of us sharing, you know, our teaching and and decades of of learning and trialing and, and the different areas that uh, were have done a lot of work in. And then get to see and bring that together. And it it was one of those moments where I, I had to think back to like when we were kids in school and be like, not, neither one of us would have ever dreamed that God would have us doing this together later on. Like as kids, you know, we would have never seen that. But then as you you look back, 
you know, you can see those threads and you can see where the the paths, I'm mixing analogies there between sewing with threads and and, and paths, you know, where they've con- converged to this moment in time, but then also where things will grow, grow from here. And so that was really exciting on, on my part. I get, I love um, the, like the brainstorming part, like when you're sitting and dreaming and just envisioning things when it, with it being a new garden bed on the homestead or anything like that. I think that that's one of my, my favorite parts is kind of relishing just that space to dream and to think of, of what could be. And I think that that's really important with homesteading or anything that we're doing in life. And oftentimes I don't know that we give ourselves enough space to do that, but I think that it's it's really important and something that we should probably embrace and do a little bit more of. So we had the in-person workshop and what was really exciting is how many people messaged me that attended later either that night or even in the days that have you know just because we're just coming off the the back side of that have messaged me and said i was feeling so stuck on some things that i just hadn't been moving forward with what i wanted to do at my place you know with the garden and with growing things and i had this aha moment when you were sharing And now I've got my exact plan. I've got my exact list and I know exactly what I'm going to do. And I feel like I can move forward now where I had really been stuck and unsure of what I was going to do. And those that to me, like that is so exciting because so oftentimes we let ourselves get overwhelmed. And like I, I was just saying, like we need to have that dreaming phase. And I do think that but we also can't get stuck there where we just get stuck where I could do this, I could do that. Like at some point we need to do the dreaming, but then we need to pick our course of action and take the steps and move forward in order to do that. So to be able to have people walk away from a day like that and then have their exact plan and how they're moving forward, like that was really exciting um, on my part. And we need to have those days where we are excited again (laughs) because homesteading is definitely hard physical work and as i was sharing my husband and i decided not to do the pig part this year because there is so many different demands that come with homesteading physically and mentally that it is easy if we don't pace ourselves and also renew ourselves to get burnt out and I think that's where you see a lot of people who start homesteading or and farming. And then statistically wise, I think it's within, trying to remember the exact statistic, I'm probably gonna misquote it, but it's within like three or five years, I think over 50%, it might be higher than that, um, stop or, or you know fail or decide to not do it anymore. And then the ones that make it beyond five years, it's even, you know, I think it's like half again. So it's actually a very small percentage. And the reason is that is because it is hard and you could get burnt out. And so for me, especially, it's really important to have those moments where I get that fresh excitement and that fresh inspiration to carry me forward for the times where it is hard and I am feeling tired and or discouraged. 
And the same thing for those who are, when we come together like that in community, there's something that happens that I'm not even really sure how to put it into words, but I've been fortunate enough to witness it now time and time again, when you come together in person, there's something very special. And as a Christian, I am it. I think that it's the the movement of the Holy Spirit and God that brings the the people together. And there's something that moves when you're together like that in person and in fellowship that encourages and lifts everyone up and feels like renewing no matter where they're at in their journey um, in order to give them fresh, like filling the cup, right? Fill my cup, run it over. Feels like that's what happens when when you get together um, at events like that. So we are doing this year the preserving workshop in August, and then we're doing the herbal medicinal workshop in September. So I'll put a link in here. You can go and check out um, the events here that we'll be having this year in 2023. But then we're also making plans now for 2024 and what we'll be offering in 2024. And I won't be sharing all of that now because we're still kind of fleshing those out. But if you have the opportunity to, and maybe it's you hosting a community event where you live, but highly recommend that you do so and take that time to build that community and be in person with other people. I think it's so important. And there's so many opportunities that are happening now for that, more so than even just a few years ago within the homesteading community itself. We've got the Modern Homesteading Conference that's in Idaho for the west side of the country coming up here in June. So there's that, which is a larger in-person event. Um, But there's all different ways. And if you don't have something in your area and travel is not something that you know, is working for you to get one, maybe this is the seed that needs to be planted for you to start something. Maybe it's just a small get together. It could just be a small gathering, you know, of people in your area that you host and and help get that started. But I think my biggest takeaway is how important it is to get together in person with one another. And I've done episodes in the past where I've talked about self-sufficiency versus community sufficiency within the homesteading realm and how important that community sufficiency aspect is. I think it's even more important perhaps than I even realized getting to witness that afresh this past weekend. So uh, we'll link to that and you can go and check that episode out if you haven't, where I kind of go into more details on that and the nuances there. So we have a lot, a lot more happening. Um, We are expanding our own medicinal herb garden here at the homestead as well as down at the farmstead. So a lot more planting will be going on. Speaking of community and support, today's podcast episode is sponsored by Azure Standard. And one of the more recent episodes of the podcast, we were talking about organ meat and liver in particular. And we do not have, I won't have any more liver from our cows until we butcher in September. 
And so I went on Azure Standard to see if they had any liver capsules, and they do. They carry the grass-fed beef liver capsules. And so I got my first bottle from them and started this uh, almost two weeks ago. I've started daily taking the grass-fed beef liver capsules. And Azure Standard is great because not only do they have a lot of bulk food, so for items that we're not growing here ourselves yet or unable to, I'm able to buy in bulk and knowing it's raised with standards that I am comfortable with is very nice. Knowing that there's a um, a business that has the same alignments and thoughts that I do. And they also have supplement lines. And so that is where I got this grass-fed beef liver. It's 500 milligram capsules and it's gluten-free, uh, CGMP certified, third-party tested, BPA-free, as well as hormone pesticide and GMO-free with no fillers or flow agents. So if you are looking for a source for beef liver capsules, highly recommend grabbing those from Azure Standard. And if you are a new Azure Standard customer and have a minimum $50 order, you can get 10% off with coupon code melissa10 that's coupon code melissa10 at azure standard and now for our verse of the week we are over in romans and romans chapter 8 32 through verse 35 and this is the amplified translation of the bible he who did not withhold or spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also with him freely and graciously give us all other things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? When it is God who justifies, that is, who puts us in right relation to himself, who shall come forward and accuse or impeach those whom God has chosen? Will God who acquits us? Who is there to condemn us? Will Christ Jesus, the Messiah, who died, or rather who was raised from the dead, who is at the right hand of God, actually pleading as he intercedes for us, who shall ever separate us from Christ's love? Shall suffering and affliction and tribulation or calamity and distress or persecution or hunger or destitution or peril or sword? Even as it is written, for thy sake, we are put to death all the day long. We are regarded and counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet amid all these things, we are more than conquerors and gain a surpassing victory through him who loved us. And I think I ended up reading a little bit further. So we actually went through verse 37 there. But for me, even though it's talking a lot about things that are you know, bad there at the end, like if you're going through distraction, persecution, hunger, destitution, peril, sword, right? None of those suffering. Those aren't necessarily happy, joyful things. But in this section, it's really a testament of God's love and how nothing, absolutely nothing can separate us from that and how powerful God's love for us is. I mean, he gave his own son for us. That's how much he loves us. And when you think about if you're a parent, how much you love your own children, 
that kind of takes on a whole new level and depth. At least for me, it did once I became a parent, um, how deep of a gift that was and how deep his love, God's love for me and for you must be in order for him to have sacrificed his son that way. And so it's saying like, God puts us in right relation to himself. And he did that with the gift of Jesus and by Jesus's sacrifice on the cross for us. And that nothing can ever separate us from Christ's love. So to me, even though that sounds a bit perilous parts of those verses, it's actually a very, very comforting part of scripture and helps to just illustrate the true depths of God's love and mercy for us as well, and that we are conquerors. So I hope that that encourages you and inspires you. And I would love to hear what you have going on, what you're excited about and what plans you have for your homestead. Blessings and mason jars for now, my friends. <laughs>